0: Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. I am your host, Travis King. Let's build. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Cruise Control Music, the ultimate audio branding experience. Cruise Control Music creates custom, authentic sounds and music to showcase your brand identity and is a direct reflection of your vision, goals, and values. If you're looking to start or level up your podcast experience, log on to cruisecontrolmusic.com. Today, we have David Spinks, the founder of CMX Media with us to share his insights on community building. Hey, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Travis. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited to kind of pick your brain um, with your tremendous experience in community building and you know, just kind of have this amazing conversation and um, hopefully learn a thing or two from you with what you've done so far. Awesome. Let's do it. Cool. So yeah, let's. Uh, I guess if you wouldn't mind sharing with everyone, kind of what you, what you're up to, like what
1: CMX, kind of what you're up to over there. Yeah, absolutely. So CMX is an organization that provides uh, education and membership for community professionals. So anyone who's building community on a professional level uh, could be for for profits, non profits, pl- political movements. Anyone who's you know organizing people, bringing them together, connecting them to each other. Uh, we are kind of a central organization that uh, hosts, you know, a big conference once a year, uh, develops training models, frameworks, educational standards for people to be able to do this work at scale and to, to help each other. Awesome.
0: Thank you for that. That's super helpful. And I guess, speaking of community what drew you to community in the first place? Like, how'd you get started in the community world?
1: Yeah, uh, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> ah, let's, let's go uh, to childhood. Let's hear the, ear- the <laughs> early memories. <news. laughs> yeah, you know, my, both my parents were immigrants. Uh, my mom was born in Israel. My dad was born in Ireland. Moved to New York after they got married in Israel, and I was born a year later. I kind of had an interesting upbringing where I was in uh, Long Island, suburbs of New York City, and had two parents who were brand new to the country, um, had no jobs here, no real connections was just they were basically building their own community and their network from the ground up and their lives from the ground up. and uh, they cared a lot about me and my sister, who was born four and a half years later, fitting in and belonging, and I think they probably translated that strong need to belong to me. um, you know, they were uh, signing me up for every sports team and club and program and setting up playdates and connections for me. And it became kind of something I really craved was uh, to be included and to belong, to be accepted, to be seen as cool. And I wanted it so bad. But as it turns out in childhood, especially in you know middle school and high school, the more you want something, uh, <laughs> the more desperate you are for it, the harder it can be to get. And so I really struggled to fit in in a lot of ways. I dealt with anti-Semitism. I dealt with a lot of bullying. I kind of hopped around from group to group. Um, I wasn't good at getting made fun of. I didn't take it well. I didn't take it in stride, which obviously makes bullies um, give it to you harder. So belonging was something that I really struggled with as a kid. And was part of what kind of sculpted who I am today was the struggles to really fit in. It made me pay attention a lot, though. Why do people fit in? Why do they connect? Why does somebody seem cool where other people don't? And, you know, I would hop around from group to group. And I was kind of the kid that um, would be in a different group every day. I, I was friends. Uh, I would have a a group of friends in the sports team. I would have a group of friends. We used to go to like hardcore rock shows, and go into mosh pits. I was in model Congress. I kind of like tested out all these different groups to see where I would fit in and (laughs) failed at most of them, but I was learning a lot from each one. Um, And I always really enjoyed the idea of bridging groups. For some reason, you know, it was always the most exciting to me when I could host a birthday party and bring different groups who weren't really connected and interacting together into a space and, and see how they interact and see how they mesh or don't mesh. That ultimately led me to become really involved in the online communities because where I failed to find connections and inclusion offline, this was when IRC was big. Uh, it was the very early days of console gaming when PlayStation 2 first went online. I played a lot of online video games. And there um, you were know, the old platforms, live journal, dead journal, I was all over all of that because it was this way of connecting with people where they didn't know who you were. They didn't know what your baggage was. They didn't know if you were cool or not. They only saw you for what they're seeing online, and that was empowering to me. And so I became pretty interested in how technology was changing the way people connect and gave people an opportunity to develop relationships and a sense of community uh, in a way that wasn't before possible. And that just kind of carried on all through college, all through MySpace, Facebook, and then Twitter launch. And every time these platforms launched, I became really interested and active in them. And that ultimately led me to take on a job as a community manager right out of college. And so my first job was a community manager. This was in 2009. And there was no guidance for how to do this work because it was so new there was no training or framework for how to do community management and that's what ultimately led to starting cmx about five years later Um, after figuring it out myself for all those years and connecting with you know eventually thousands of people who are doing similar kind of work but all just figuring it out on their own i developed a good network of the people who are doing this work i learned a lot just by failing over and over again and eventually started CMX as a platform to bring all the people who are doing this work together and provide them that support. Wow, that is a powerful story if
0: I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thanks so much for sharing that. And actually, I'm very curious, what was that breakthrough moment, right? Where you decided that, you know, enough was enough. I'm, I'm going to, you know, be a member of something, right? Like, I, I belong. Like when, when did that happen for you?
1: That's interesting the way you phrase the question. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think it's like something you choose. You don't get to choose to belong. Um, other people get to choose that. And so in my mind, I always should have belonged. <laughs> right? I never understood right. why I wasn't accepted. If anything, that was like the the journey that I have been on. And in many ways I'm still on is figuring out what it means to belong and what it means for people to accept you and how to be accepted, it's an interesting question because you don't get to choose that. Other people choose that. So it's kind of out of your control in a lot of ways. And I think what I, the mistake I made time and time and time again was trying to answer that question by seeing it that way of, oh, this must be me. This must be something I'm doing. So let me just keep changing myself. Let me keep changing my identity. Let me keep changing how I dress, how I talk. Um, how I treat people, uh, the things I'm involved in, and maybe that will make people accept me. And <laughs> as I guess every story like this tells you in the end, it's it's not about changing yourself, but rather just being who you are and being comfortable in your own skin. And that's what attracts people to you. And I think I, think I feel more uh, comfortable in my own skin today than I ever have before and have just continued to be on that journey. And... I'm fortunate to be in a place today that I, I have an incredible sense of community, whether that's my friends. I have some amazing friends that I love and love me, and we have uh, something really special. Uh, my family is really close, um, or my work and my larger network and the CMX community that we're building. Um, I'm I'm rich in community today, uh, which I'm, I'm extremely grateful for and I think I'm lucky for. Um, but I think a lot of that comes from being comfortable in your own skin. Oh, I love that. Um, and it, de- it definitely circles
0: back to, um, the idea of when you were younger, hopping around often. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people struggle with now, right? Like they might try to find, you know, some group that they like or try to find some sort of interest, but I feel like people still hop around. Like, what, is there any advice that you could give to people that are hopping around and like in search of finding something Like, what would you tell those people? Yeah. I was going to say anything that you could think of that, like maybe a conversation you had with someone when you were younger or, um, cause I know a lot of times, like my mom always knows what to say, no matter what the situation, <laughs> she can always <laughs> make me feel better.
1: And she,
0: I don't know. Mom just had that gift. <laughs>
1: That's yeah, it's a it's a really powerful gift. you know for me, I, I it's it's hard to say, like I only know my own experience with it, and where where I've ended up is somewhat of a like a chameleon in that I do feel comfortable in a lot of different kinds of communities and different situations. I can kind of adapt how I interact with somebody based on who they are. I can kind of mimic their pace and their tone. Um, which is effective at making them feel comfortable. I think uh, it, it's hard to find the places you belong, And especially if you you know move to a new city, you experience it in a new way. Th- this idea of like not having the comfort of existing relationships and established networks. and it takes time to develop, right? Like sometimes you move or you join a new community online. And you kind of expect it right away to be like, all right, I fit in and I'm thriving and this is great. And I have friends in this network. But relationships aren't built that way. They're built over time. They're built through shared struggles and stories that develop over, you know, years. I think if you're still struggling to find your community, learning to be patient and just constantly moving in the direction of, where you do feel accepted and you feel safe and you feel like you can be yourself, right? Like from a community builder's perspective, I think the ultimate job of a community builder is to know who your members are, what is that identity that you're trying to bring together and create a space that they feel comfortable and safe and excited to to be themselves in that space. And if you've done that, then you've created a, a space where people can truly feel a sense of belonging and shared identity and be themselves because they feel safe being exactly who they are and not having to change themselves. And and so from the member perspective, I think that's what we're all looking for is spaces where we can be, you know, some version of ourselves, right? Because we might change whether you're interacting with family or friends or your coworkers, you might adapt. But in those spaces, you're trying to find an environment that you feel safe being yourself. Um, And once you find those things, you know, give it time, be patient and let it develop. And just don't be afraid to put yourself out there and experience these things with other people, even if it's awkward or uncomfortable or a little bit of a struggle, um, because that's the kind of stuff that will shape your relationships and your community over time.
0: Perfect. No, I think that's extremely valuable advice. And I think even kind of moving a little bit of what you said about the not finding comfort and being, you know, new to a city, I think one thing that has definitely helped me is like like sports leagues, right? Like I joined a flag football team. And mm-hmm. now realizing looking back on it, I'm like, wow, like I knew one person, and this one person brought me into a group and a community of uh, of you know 15, 20 other people, which then expanded and and helped me launch new friendships. So I definitely yeah. think that point is is great to make. I think it's a it's like a hidden gem, right? Like we're all connected to football in some way. So the fact that we're just on this team together just gives me that sense of belonging and it definitely helps ease the the waters when you're moving into a new city.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You kind of like you want to put yourself in a position where you're having repeat interactions with the mm-hmm. same people. I think that's ideal. I think the trouble that people they go to, like, at a bar or going out or randomly at a library or something. And that can work, right? Like, sometimes that can work if you really hit it off. But it's hard because it's a one-off interaction in, in a moment. Um, no one's necessarily there to be invested in each other. And so it's hard to develop a relationship, learn about each other, right? Like, first impressions are almost always wrong. My be- one of my best friends in the world right now uh, was my roommate. And when my fr- my other roommate was recommending that he he join our apartment... I actually was like, I don't think that's a good idea because my first impression <laughs> of this guy was he was like a little wild, a little crazy because the last time he visited, he just partied really hard and kind of went loose. You know, that was his, uh, in that moment, visiting that day, it was Beta Breakers in San Francisco. It was like a wild time. So I only got to see him. And, you know, he ended up moving in and over time just really got to know each other. You know, he was just in my wedding party. Uh, He's one of my groomsmen. Like we, we became so close over time. So I think that that was it for me too. When I first moved to San Francisco, I moved into this apartment that I found on Craigslist, and I chose it based on the people that were living there. Seemed like people I would hang out with, but I didn't know any of them. But uh, you know, we live together, so you have constant repeat interaction, and you really that doesn't mean you're going to be friends with. That's going to be your community, but it gives you a chance to really see. And those three people ended up becoming. Three of my best friends in the world. One of the guys there was another person who was one of my groomsmen. One of the ladies I lived with became my co founder in my last business. And the third person is uh, she's another one of my best friends, and her husband ended up officiating my wedding. Like, I can't say enough <laughs> how much of this one, like, apartment I found on Craigslist became my my true community. And it was, I'm really grateful that we had that time to live together and have those repeat interactions and experiences and stories that develop over time. Rather than in one moment.
0: Wow, you know what's so funny about that? I also found my quote-unquote apartment, but my flag football team from Craigslist. That's insane. <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs> wow, yeah, Craigslist so doing I've more than been, classifieds. Uh, look, I mean, there's a lot of talk right now of social media and how you know community is dying. Um, and I've even been guilty of being pretty negative lately about uh, the impact that social media and technology is having on our sense of community but i've also i'm a, an example of where it can really help someone thrive in community and it's done so much for me in in finding community and developing my career and network and learning that i can be cool and belong and be included early on in life when you know, as a kid, you really only had access to the kids in your town. But I had access to this whole world of people through video games and online networks. It, it can it can create a true sense of community.
0: Yeah, I think that's extremely important. Because like like you just mentioned, like we're more connected than ever. Than ever. And I think we've been using the tools wrong. <laughs> what I mean by that is, instead of looking at like these online places like Facebook, Instagram as as like the places that we should be. It's like I feel like if we just look at it as a starting point in realizing that these things like the Craigslist example that we just mentioned, that sparked friendships that are now growing and living offline. I think that's one mm-hmm. of the the key things I think people need to remember is that like don't become crippled by these tools that are here to help us. They're You know, essentially, just ways for us to connect faster with everyone, but then also to give you more opportunities to create these online—excuse me, offline—conversations with people in real life.
1: Yeah, I I think both both are um, possible. I think you can develop a true sense of community with people that you only know online because I I did that with video games, and again, video games—it's a repeat, consistent interaction over time, right? So the people I got to know by playing video games weren't just people I saw once in a Twitter stream. Um, It wasn't even people I followed. So it's just like a one way it was interactive. I had interactions and shared experiences with them over, over, you know, more than a year. And we would see each other every day in these rooms where we play together and we'd have tournaments together and we develop clans and battles and, Um, There was controversy and challenges, and there were trolls that everybody knew, and there were cool people that everyone knew. Right, you develop these stories, this this, the thing that happens in any community uh, because you have that shared interaction over time on on a repetitive way. But like you know, there's a culture component of it too. And in that video game, I, I look back at some of those like forums that were some images were saved from it like those people were assholes they were (laughs) they were racist and assholes and mean and trolly back then like video games has always been that way now it's kind of bled into dream and now everyone's on these networks and getting this fire hose of content and those kinds of messages aren't isolated to these video game forums like one message can now spread to Millions of people in an instant, and so I think we just we haven't figured out how to coexist in these extremely large connected spaces yet. Totally, no. That's that's a great point. That's ex- a very very great point.
0: Actually, one thing um, I know this is a little bit different than video games, but I would love to hear um, about your take on how an important topic like community can be built with brands. Like so, in businesses, right? Like it's it's tough to say like, hey. Everybody meet up around my technology, and that's building a real sense of community, right? Like it's it's tough for some brands to not push their messages. So, like, how can brands help fuel this sort of nice repeat interactions without trying to push their message in front of everybody? Because I feel like sometimes when there's a you know a brand behind a community, people get you know turned off a
1: little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting challenge. It's funny. I was just reading an old blog post. Like my blog. My blog from 2010 was basically down for the last eight years. I got an email notification saying, like, I need to fix something if I wanted to go up. So I just fixed it and it came up. And then I just got in this hole of reading old blog posts. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, it's funny to see, you know, eight years ago, talking about the same shit. And uh, I wish I used better language back then. But... Um, <laughs> hey, <laughs> we learned, right? Yeah, exactly. I definitely read like uh, idiot, low twenties <laughs> with a cocky attitude. But um, I think one, it was the reason that came up for me is there's an article where I was writing about um, Dan Ariely wrote a book called Predictably Irrational uh, on behavioral economics, and he talks about how um, I might I might butcher the terminology here, but it, it was. Um, we have these kind of market interactions and we have social interactions. And so our social interactions are things that we do for other people because of the the social capital of sorts or the reputation or just the relationships you have, right? If a friend asks you to help them move, you're going to help them move because they're your friend. You're not going to say, well, this is how much my time is worth. If you're hosting your family over for Thanksgiving dinner... You're gonna cook the meal and buy the turkey and do everything. You're not gonna ask everyone to pitch in twenty bucks when they arrive. You're just doing it because it's your family and it's you know that social interaction. A market interaction is basically uses a different part of your brain, and it it's when it's transactional. So if at that same point where a friend is asking you to help them move, and they say, "Hey, uh, can 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 you help me move? I'll give you two hundred bucks." as soon as they've now applied that value to that interaction, now you start to say, well, 200 bucks, is it worth that to me? What, how much is my time worth? And it, it makes it into this market interaction. And so we have these interactions in the world, uh, these two different kinds of interactions in the world, and we treat them very differently and we value them differently. and we, we don't even think of the social stuff as a transaction, and we don't even think of the transaction as social. It can be kind of black and white in that way. And so when a business is trying to build community, what, what, where the struggle comes, I think, is they're trying to act like these are social interactions when they're market interactions. They're trying to treat people like friends and family when there's a dollar amount assigned to that interaction. And it's interesting because I've been in this industry for 10 years and we're still having the same... Struggle today as community professionals to get budget to get buy ins is to, to prove ROI. How do you prove the ROI of community? And it's like the very premise of that question violates the single rule of community, which is that it's not about ROI. At the same time, every community we've ever had has to be sustainable to some perspective, right? Like the religion, you need to pay for the churches and the ceremonies and the priests and the, the rabbis. and Everybody who's involved, you need it needs to be sustainable or else it won't continue to exist. So they have donations and they have ways of making sure they're capital efficient. You know, anything nonprofits, uh, AA, uh, Burning Man even needs to be financially sustainable yeah. or else it can continue. Right. And so I don't have a great answer there yet. And it's, I think, one of the key questions in, in my journey, in my career that I'm still exploring is... Where where do these things meet? Because I think at the same time, it is possible, it is possible for brands to really care and to really develop social relationships. And it's also possible for them to develop the market network, a transactional network that people still like and participate in and their rewards are clear and, and that's fine, right? Like you feel a sense of community with your employer, and that's a transactional relationship. Um, but like it's one that one day you're probably gonna leave because it's transactional. When that no longer makes sense for you, you're going to leave. Um, so there, there's some sort of blend there and some sort of approach and mentality and understanding that very few brands have figured out yet. But I do think it's possible.
0: Got it. No, that's that's a, a very... I think that's a very uh, important question right now. Because I also was... I forget what article I was reading, but um, it mentioned how there's... Just, a ton of missed opportunity on the table for brands if they're able to actually figure out how to build these social interactions. Right. That's like thinking of a, a brand like Nike, for example, just trying to support a community of, of people in a random city just because they want to, you know, help them build community. And it's like, how would you even begin to try to tell uh, you know a marketer at that company? That, you know, this is great for the community, but there's no ROI behind it, right? Like, I, I totally, totally feel like that question is going to take a while for us to answer.
1: Yeah. I, I read a quote today, actually, that feels relevant here. Uh, it was uh, Tim O'Reilly, founder of O'Reilly Media, uh, wrote an article about like some of his biggest mistakes. It was super good. And he talked about a business's relationship with cash. And and most of this section was actually about how important it is for, especially for founders and to make sure you have a good CFO to make sure that you really, really understand the cash flow of your business. You understand where money is coming in. You understand when it's going out and how that's going to affect you and how you can grow and you have to pay really close attention to it. Um, but in that same article, he was saying that when he would communicate to people the importance of cash uh he had a quote that was like um cash is the gas for your car right it's the thing that will keep it going but a road trip is a lot more than just driving from gas station to gas station right and that really resonated to me with this idea that yes you need cash yes you need to be sustainable yes you need gas in the tank but what you do Around that, assuming you have gas and pink, and you're able to be sustainable and healthy, your your road trip is about exploration and creation, and you know, seeing new things and helping people. Right? It's your business can be so much more than just cash flow. Is a fundamental resource that needs to be there, but assuming you are able to figure that out, um, that's not what needs to drive every decision. The flip side of that is I'm kind of skeptical, right? Because having been through this grind and being a CEO myself, it's hard to invest in things that aren't showing ROI, especially at an early stage when you're establishing the culture that say you are successful, you're building that, that belief system early. And it's just hard to invest in things that you can't prove the ROI because you're just trying to stay alive.
0: Right. No, I think that's, again, extremely important for people, especially when they're thinking about starting communities. Because um, I think that's one thing that might hold some people back, right? Like, they might know that it's such an essential need to build a community, but they don't really know where to start or they don't really have the funding to do so. So it's like, what do they do? Do they just go join a community? Do they just forget about it? Like,
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. Um <laughs> Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, I think um, there's an interesting trend now of businesses becoming really decentralized. Um, So, you know, we're seeing it in cryptos as like ultimate uh, decentralization, where the very like development and platforms that our technology is built on is becoming decentralized. Open source obviously has been around a long time, but everything collaborative consumption... Right? like Airbnb is driven by hosts, Lyft is driven by drivers, all open source projects driven by their developers, all crypto is driven by their ecosystem, all social networks driven by the people who are posting and the influencers on the platform. Businesses are because, which essentially means that it's not the employees and the team creating all the value, they're building a lot of the structure, perhaps, or they're, build, they're, they're the spark that's like creating this movement but the actual value of the business is being driven by contributors this large amount of contributors were creating either cre- you know creating or contributing homes or code or duolingo is all developed by their community and you can learn any language on there and all their all their language classes are developed by the community and so as this trend is happening those contributors as the people of the community that's creating value on the platform are becoming extremely important. But businesses are just now learning that community is how you keep those people engaged. It's how you should see those people. They are a community of people who are contributing oftentimes for free or there's red share or something. But your success as a business will be be driven by how engaged are those people, how loyal are those people, how successful are they at contributing to the platform, and how you support them. And so I think when that is how your business is working, that's how it functions, community is starting to become a little bit more clear of a fit. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, that's awesome. I actually I was on Twitter earlier and I saw a, I think it was something that you might have retweeted. About the uh, like the effect of a power user in a community, and yeah. kind of how that measures. I guess could you talk a little bit about your take on that? And because you know, there's people always looking to create VIP programs or you know have influencers. But like, what's your take on you know, the effect of a power user inside of a community?
1: Every community is going to have this spectrum of you know consumer to a creator, right? The people who are creating value and the people who are consuming value. And you can see that in any any community, right? In a, in a city, you have all the people who are contributing in these specific areas, whether it's food or government or you know cleaning the city or volunteering. You have all these people who are contributing. And then there's people who consume those. They eat the food. They use the roads that get fixed. They Participate, but they're probably contributing value in in somewhere else. You know, it's a large ecosystem, a a city. But in other communities, it's more straightforward. Right? There's going to be a small group of people that are creating most of the value, and then a whole lot of people who are consuming that value. Right? Like, look at Wikipedia. There's a very small group of people, comparatively, that are writing all the articles and editing all the articles that. You know, the other 99% of people are just consuming and reading and not really contributing value there. Now, if those editors were to disappear, even though they're a very small group, the entire platform would go kaput. It would lose its value. It would no longer be useful. And so it's extremely important that Wikipedia keeps those editors really engaged and happy and loyal and focused and helps them be successful on the platform. And that's the same for every network, right? There's the 99-1 rule or the 80-20 rule, which aren't really rules, but basically both of them say that there's a small percentage of people that are going to be creating most of the content and most of the value on the platform. And so that post that was by um, Andrew Chen, who is a growth marketer. He's like one of the biggest experts on growth in the world. So it's really cool to see him writing about power users and the idea of growth being driven by focusing on your most valuable contributors, the people who are creating the most value in your network. Um, and it was interesting, he, he graphed out um, how th- it actually looks different depending on the kind of business you are, right? Some of them might be a smile uh, shape of the graph where, because what he did was he mapped it out over 30 days and it says, how many people have been active one day out of the last 30 days? How many people have been active two days out of the last 30 days? And so on and all the way to 30. And so if it's a smile, that means a lot of people have been uh, just a little bit active and then a lot of people have been really active. And that's what something like Facebook looks like. Um, and so understanding the kind of business you are and how important it is to have those really key power users is important. And assuming that is important to you, that those you do have this network where there's a small group of people creating... Uh, a, a huge amount of the value uh, it's going to be critical for you to make sure that those people are engaged and totally that's that's amazing i think
0: that's super important right like making sure that you help support kind of basically it's like you're showing what your community what success looks like in the form of users right basically saying hey you know david joined this community you know back in 2009 he's been an active contributor, he uses the platform regularly and he's, you know, someone that you'd look up to to figure out what success looks like in this community and kind of how we do things here.
1: Yeah, it sets a good example for other members to follow as well. Right? Like the Yelp Elites, one of the classic examples, and they've done an incredible job of saying, you know, all you have to do is be a good reviewer on our platform, be active, post quality reviews, and if you hit a certain level, you can become a Yelp Elite member. And that's going to give you access to events and perks and benefits and all this fun stuff, um, and uh, really spotlight their power users. And that becomes an example for others who you know may strive to one day become a leader in the community in the same way. Totally. So we're actually winding down. I uh, got time for
0: one more question, and kind of want to go um, a little bit back and kind of let you take a second to think about your life. And think about one moment in your life that positively impacted you.
1: What was that and why was it so important? Mm, Just one. (laughs) Yeah, just one. Well, I just got married three weeks ago. Congratulations. (laughs) So I feel like that's, uh, I'm obliged to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, she might get mad at you if you don't. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that it was, uh, a really powerful experience. Um, and a lot of people have been asking me, you know, how was your wedding? And it's it's kind of a hard question to answer. And probably people expect me to just say, oh, it was great. But they get a deep answer every time because they asked me, so screw them. They're going to get a deep answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty incredible, it's very surreal. And I describe it like you died and you went to you know whatever heavenly kind of place you might go after you die and you're going you know walking to the gates or whatever it is and it's just like when you show up to the the top of the aisle when you're walking down for your wedding you look around and it's just every single person from your life that you know and love the most childhood and where you live now, where you used to live in college, and your family from across the ocean. And all these people somehow have arrived here at the same time, and they're all dressed beautifully. And they're staring at you with these big, awkward grins <laughs> and watching you walk down the aisle. And you're dressed, you know, dope as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you are just looking at your bed. And it's, it's, the sun is shining. And it's just very surreal. And then you walk down, and then the person you love most in the world shows up at the end of the aisle, and you watch everyone's reaction to them, and they look beautiful. It's just this very is otherworldly. It didn't feel like you were there. It feel like you left your body a little bit, and it's this interesting from a community perspective. Of course, I can't help but think about that. It's uh, it's just this amazing moment where all so much of what you've developed as far as community is condensed into this six hours. And it creates this just extremely memorable peak moment in your life that I guess has changed my opinion a little bit of weddings, where before I was definitely on the, let's just keep this cheap, small and simple. Um, but I can understand why people make a big deal out of it, because it really does create this uh, this this period of time, this moment in time that I don't think I'll ever forget.
0: Wow. I don't know what was more powerful, the wedding or the opening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's full circle then. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it was definitely full circle for sure. Well, yeah, David, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to speak with us, you know, about community, tell us a little bit about your story and share some of the insights that you've learned along the way. I and mean, then for anyone that wants to
1: connect with you, kind of how can I do that? Yeah. So um, I'm at David Spinks on Twitter, which has been my social network of choice, although lately <laughs> I've been uh, creating some space between me and my friend Twitter. Sorry. But uh, Yeah, we're CMX, so you can find us at cmxhub.com. Uh, if you'd like to become a member of CMX and get access to our training and connect with all the other people doing this work, go to cmxhub.com slash pro, and uh, that's our membership program, and uh, you can also find we have a ton of free resources on the website, and uh, our free Facebook group is CMX Hub as well. It's an amazing community of all people who are doing this work for a living. So yeah, hope you'll all join us in our community as well. Awesome. And do you have any upcoming events or anything like that? Conferences? Yes, we do. We have a CMX Summit. Uh happens once a year. This year, it's happening on October 1st to 3rd in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we have over 400 community professionals, tons of amazing speakers, workshops, fun activities and parties. Uh, it's our... Big project every year and uh, it gets better every year. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, cool. You can find that at cmxhub.com summit. Awesome. So I'll make sure I go ahead and
0: link out to all these in the show notes. You got it. Well, thanks again, David. I really appreciate you hopping on. And uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.